Good morning. We were so relieved to have all of the members check in after the horrific tornado. So I just want to say it's good to see everyone here this morning and uh, to hear those good reports that the members here uh, were safe. And, uh, and it's a good morning here at Lindsley Avenue. But certainly, as our community lies in the wake of such destruction, there are many people that are having the worst week of their lives. And uh, so we want to begin uh, this morning with a word of prayer uh, to remember our neighbors and to lift their names up to God this morning. So will you join me in a word of prayer? Father God, we don't have sufficient words today. And we've just seen so much destruction in our community. And Lord, we know today better than ever that this world truly isn't our home. But Father, we lift up all of those of our neighbors, of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are hurting right now. And we pray for them. And we're so grateful for the immense response that we have seen in this city. So many people have volunteered, have taken to the streets, have taken to the neighborhoods, and are doing such great work, Father. We pray that this church will join in that support. And Father, we just continue to pray for Your hand of providence, Your hand of care, Your hand of love to be seen amidst this tragedy. We pray for those families that lost loved ones and lost people that they care about. And we're thankful for each other. We love each other this morning. And we give you praise and honor. And we say, blessed is the name of the Lord. And we seek your face, not only in times of joy, but also in times of adversity. We pray in the name of Jesus, your Son and our Savior. Amen. Middle Tennessee, of course, was ravaged. And in some cases, there were places in our town and in our community even annihilated by that tornado that struck our community. And it's hard to imagine that a tornado cut into the heart of Middle Tennessee a path of 50.25 miles of destruction. That's an incredible thing to think about. And I'm grateful that at the hospital I work at that no one was touched there because it came within about 100 yards of that health care facility with about 200 patients. But we've seen at last count 25 people killed, including children. And our hearts are broken by what we've seen. But there's also been amazing and incredible stories of survival, haven't there? The news has also been showcased, and I saw on the news, where a teenage girl was sitting in a room. And as that storm came through the neighborhood, it ripped her out of her house and threw her into the neighbor's pool. And she survived. And there's stories like that all over this city, all over this community of people who came through it. 
who survived such a deadly and terrible tornado. And it's an amazing thing to see people lifting other people up. But at work the other day when I was sitting and talking with a fellow co-worker about what had happened, and we were cleaning up debris around the hospital. And she came to me and she said, well, what do you tell people? In other words, she says, what are you going to tell me? How do you make sense of all this suffering, of all this carnage, of all this that has gone on? And how do you make sense of that? And there's no easy answers, are there? The thing that I look at into Scripture, when you look into Luke chapter 13, Jesus tells about a a tragedy that happened in Jerusalem. He talks about this tower of Siloam that fell and 18 people perished. And you see, during the time of Jesus, the idea was is that God would reward you or punish you in this life according to how righteous and how unrighteous you are right now. So if you begin to suffer something in this life, that must mean... That's proportional to your righteousness. But Jesus says, no, that's not the case. That's not the case. This is not about people receiving the judgment of God. Just like those people when that tower fell on them way back in the first century. Jesus says it's not about God's justice right now. It's not that. So what do we learn about these falling towers that happen? Beautiful homes, beautiful families wrecked. How can we make sense of what has gone on? The first thing that I want to suggest to you is is that these falling towers makes us grieve. You see, sometimes... All we can give is our prayer, our love, and sometimes our silence. Sometimes there are no words that are able to intellectualize the pain and the suffering that's going on. Our words come up short. In fact, this is what happened with Job. Remember Job, he lost everything. He lost his children. He lost his livelihood. He lost his home. And it says in Job chapter 2, 13, they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Sometimes the only thing that we can do when someone is hurting is to really just be present with them in that moment because no words are able to console in these times. It's also a time of weeping. Of course, there's that verse in Romans chapter 12, verse 15. It says, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. And now is a time of weeping. The psalmist says, my tears have been my food both day and night. There are times of lament. There are times of sorrow where all we can do is grieve in that process what has happened. 
The thing about the Bible is, is that it doesn't shy away from tears. In fact, when you start reading the Bible, you will find people crying. Joseph, it says in Genesis 45-2, he wept aloud. The Egyptians heard and the house of Pharaoh heard. Joseph was in that point of his life where he was trying to restore his brothers. His brothers had come to Egypt and it says he was so moved by grief, he wept. And he didn't care who heard him. David, in 1 Samuel 30, verse 4, it says, David wept until they had no more power to weep. Have you ever encountered that in your own life? To where you wept so much. You had no tears left in your body. Your, your eyes go dry. Your soul is hurting. And that is a time in which we're in. To weep. And when you read the Scriptures, Elisha wept, Hezekiah wept, Ezra wept, Mordecai wept, Jeremiah wept. Jesus wept. It's a time of weeping and these falling towers teach us to grieve. Number two, it teaches us These fallen towers reveal to us that the world is fallen. You see, when we see what has happened in our community, we understand something's wrong. Something's off with the world, isn't it? Because we yearn for something better. We yearn for something perfect, don't we? We understand something is not right with the world. This shouldn't happen. And it's because this world is fallen. It's been corrupted. It's been vitiated. Paul said it like this, Just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, that thus death spread to all men, because all have sinned. The falling towers of life reveal that our world isn't what it's supposed to be. Paul also said in Romans 8.22, We know that the whole creation groans and labors. It points that something has to be done. Something can be better with our world. It's not right. And we all yearn for something better, don't we? The falling towers also reveal that there are forces beyond our control. Man in all of his greatness. Man in all of his knowledge. Man for all that we have accomplished. Humanity in our greatness. The towers that we build are still confronted with powers beyond our control. That's an old conflict, isn't it? In fact, in literature, it's one of the oldest conflicts. We know Hemingway wrote Old Man in the Sea. Melville's Moby Dick is about man versus nature. Man versus the powers that are beyond his control. And when we begin to see the powers that are beyond our control, it teaches us something, hopefully. Humility. James says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. 
It also shows us that there's two types of forces in this universe. One is the force of intention. Intentionality, the force of a mind. The type that builds towers. The type that is constructed. The type that has created the cosmos. But there's other acts, such as acts of nature, that are governed by chance and necessity. And our reality, our world, is composed of both of those natures, isn't it? But the towers falling in this life also reveal, listen to me, this is important, the goodness of God. The goodness of God is revealed in the falling of the towers. I saw a, a news, David, from the lead national correspondent of the CBS, he, he had a statement that he wrote, and he said this after interviewing people in this community. Listen to what he said. He says, There was a resilience that seemed to bond them together, which was inspiring to me. Every single person I talked to mentioned God. And I will never forget that. You see, in the midst of this tragedy, there has been an outpouring of love, of goodness. There has been self-sacrifice. There has been courage. There has been faith. And all of those things that are reflected in human beings are the reflection of God Himself. That's where it comes from. Why do we see the generosity that's coming in this community? It's because it is reflective of the very nature that God has placed in each of us. Remember, it says that we were made in the image of God. So when you see people doing these kinds of acts of kindness, these acts of generosity, these acts of love, they're showcasing the very image of God, aren't they? And the Bible says that God is a God of goodness. James says, let no man say that when I am tempted, I am tempted of God. John says that God is light and in Him there is no darkness. All of this goodness that's coming, all of this goodness that's being shown, all of this love that's being expressed is the very nature of God. So ironically, even in the towers of life falling, God's goodness is revealed, isn't it? It also shows us that love is the most crucial aspect of our lives, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, whatever people lost as far as their property pales into the the loss that people lost when it comes to relationships, isn't it? There is a story of Jimmy and Donna Eaton who were married 58 years. And the story is, is that they died side by side. Listen to the words of their grandson. Listen to this. They were the best earthly example of what marriage should look like. They showed Christ's love and His sacrifice. They both loved our families through challenging times of life. They were the ones we looked to when times were difficult. And they kept us pointed 
to God and to be dependent on God. Isn't that powerful? That that loving couple who died side by side are still showing the love of Christ to the world. And now that's published in the newspapers. In fact, the outpouring of goodness in this community in Mount Julie, they said, we have too many volunteers. And in the national press, people are praising and lauding the people of Nashville because of the goodness that has been generated through the image of God that's in each one of us. But the last thing that I want to tell you, and the most important, and it's what Jesus talks about in the passage, is that the falling towers of life reveal our need for a Savior. That's what it tells me. That amidst these things that are beyond our control, amidst this world filled with evil, sin, death, and suffering, Christ is the answer. I don't know if you saw that article, the house in North Nashville, that when they cleared the debris, there was the picture of Christ. And the man of that house hung on to that picture and he says, Christ is with me. Christ is the hope. And the answer in all of this is that all of us, no matter who we are, no matter what side of town we live on, no matter what kind of cars that we drive or houses that we live in, no matter what we vote, that we all need a Savior. And His name is Jesus. And it also tells us that there are worse tragedies. There are greater tragedies than the one that's been in Nashville. And the greatest tragedy is not just the loss of life, but the greatest tragedy is the loss of a soul. And that's why Jesus in Luke chapter 13 says, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. I need a Savior in my life because I'm a sinner. I need a Savior in my life because my destiny is death without that Savior. And there's only one assurance in this world, and His name is Christ. Have I given my life to Him? Because if I give my life to Christ, if I give my life to God, that's non-negotiable. No one can take that life that I give to Christ away. No one can take the eternity that I have with God away. That's why the people of Tennessee mention God time and time again. That's why that loving couple had the marriage that they had. is because they dedicated and committed themselves to Christ. And the question comes to each of us today and every day, are we committed to Christ? Are we committed to His love? Are we committed to His church? Have you obeyed the gospel of Christ? I need a Savior. You need a Savior. His name is Jesus. That's why I need to believe in Jesus. Except you believe that I am He, Jesus says, you will die in your sins. Except you repent, you will all likewise perish. I need to confess Jesus to be the Son of God. 
And no matter when the towers fall, when we're baptized into Christ, we have the assurance, the full assurance of salvation. Or maybe you're a Christian this morning and need encouragement, need prayers of healing. We also want to offer that to you. So we're going to sing this next song to encourage you. So if you have any need, won't you come now as together we stand and as we sing.